Sirah, a biography of Muhammad, the last messenger of Allah, written by Professor Dr. Safwat Khalilovich. Chapter 37 The Prophet's Migration When the pagans in Mecca saw the Prophet's companions and their families were moving out of Mecca, they realized that the Muslims found a safe haven and protection in Yathrib. This fact was a cause of great concern for the pagans, as they were aware that the Muslims could now wage a war against them, especially if they succeeded in uniting the two big tribes of Yathrib, the Aws and Hazraj. That was an area of strategic importance, as the main road to Al-Sham, Syria, and Palestine, and farther to the Byzantine Empire, went through Yathrib. The one who controlled that area could halt trade caravans and dictate conditions for safe passage. For that reason, the Meccan pagans started following the Messenger of God closely, in order to prevent his potential migration. To that end, they held a meeting at their council, Darun Nedve, the institution founded by the Prophet's ancestor, Qusayb ibn Kilab, in which all important decisions were made. The goal was to reach an agreement what to do about the Prophet, peace be upon him, as he had become a serious threat to them. They agreed to select any one young man from each tribe, strong and of noble lineage, give each a sharp sword, and that the young men should all strike Muhammad simultaneously. In that way, they will kill him, but the responsibility for it would fall on several tribes. The Prophet's clan would not be able to fight them all, and the problem would be solved with payment of blood money. Everyone present at the meeting agreed that it was the best solution, and they parted ways with a firm belief that they would finish off the Messenger of God in that way. However, Angel Gabriel came to the Prophet at the time and informed him of the pagans' conspiracy, ordering him not to sleep in his bed in the coming night. When the night came, the young men from many tribes gathered in front of the Prophet's house. The Prophet, peace be upon him, ordered Ali, radiallahu anhu, who was in his twenties at the time, to lie in his bed. Ali did so unquestioningly, exposing himself to mortal danger. Abu Jehel was in the group that was waiting in front of the Prophet's house. He cheered up the young man and ridiculed the Prophet and his mission, while Abu Jehel was uttering one of his spiteful sentences. The Prophet got out of the house and took a handful of dust. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made him invisible to the others. He cast some dust on each man's head while reciting the opening verses of Surah 36 to the verse. And we set barriers before and behind them, blocking their vision they cannot see. The pagans were motionless for a while, and when they came to their senses, they realized that the Prophet, peace be upon him, had escaped since Ali was lying in his bed inside the house. The Prophet, peace be upon him, had meanwhile moved away and left Mecca in the company of Abu Bakr.
They set off in the direction opposite to the one leading to Medina, in an attempt to deceive potential pursuers. They hid in the cave of Thabar for three days. It is not easy to reach the Thabar cave, as the excess road leads across steep cliffs. The pagans who afterward reached the cave entrance were prevented from seeing the Prophet and Abu Bakr, who were inside owing to the protection that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provided to his Prophet. The event is referred to in the Noble Quran in Surah 9. Even if you do not help the Prophet, God helped him. When the disbelievers drove him out, when the two of them were in the cave, he said to his companion, Do not worry, God is with us, and God sent his calm down to him, aided him with forces invisible to you, and brought down the disbelievers' plan. God's plan is higher. God is almighty and wise. The Chapter Ninth verse 40. Sheikh Safiur Rahman al Mubarak Furi, the famous Islamic scholar from India, says that the Prophet left his home in the 27th night of the month of Safar of the 14th year of the Prophethood, which corresponds to the night of 12 of September 622 CE. El Mubarak Furi, as well as the other biographers, note that Abu Bakr entered the cave before the Prophet to check if there were any snakes inside or anything else that might disturb the Prophet peace be upon him, which is a clear sign of his love and respect for Allah's beloved. While they resided in the cave, Abu Bakr's daughter, Esma, would bring them food tied in a bundle of her waistband torn in two parts, for which she was nicknamed possessor of two waistbands. Abu Bakr's son, Abdullah, had a task to monitor and listen during the day what Quraysh intended and did, and to inform the Prophet about it during his clandestine night visits to the cave. He was assisted by Amir ibn Fuhaira, Abu Bakr's freedman, who would pass with his flock every evening on the road that Abdullah had used in order to cover up the traces and prevent the pagans from discovering the Prophet's hiding place. So the Muslim youth played a very important role in the migration process and demonstrated an enormous readiness for personal sacrifice, which was a result of their proper upbringing. The Prophet and Abu Bakr left the cave after three days and moved toward the place agreed beforehand, where a hired guide, Abdullah ibn Ureike, was waiting for them with camels. He was a reliable and skillful guide, and he was to take them to Medina. The journey to Medina, which is some 500 kilometers away from Mecca, was exhausting and full of uncertainty, as they dared not to take the usual route, since they had to hide from the search party. Amir ibn Fuhaira also traveled with them. It was during this journey that the famous event involving Suraka ibn Malik happened. He decided to pursue the Prophet so that he could get a reward Quraysh promised to whoever captured the Prophet. 
Suraka was an excellent horseman, and no horse had ever thrown him out of the saddle. But it happened indeed when he came close to the prophet. Suraka resumed the chase, but the horse again threw him onto the ground and started sinking into the sand. Suraka then begged the prophet for mercy, and the prophet let him go, telling him that one day he, Suraka, would put on the bracelets of the Persian emperor. This came true at the time of Caliph Umar's reign, when Persia was liberated. The event with Suraka is one of the many sensory miracles that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala helped his messenger with. On Monday, the 8th of Rabiul Awal, of the 14th year of the Prophethood, or the 23rd September, 622 CE, the Messenger of God, peace be upon him, arrived in the place of Cuba, in the vicinity of Medina. He stayed there for four days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. There he built a prayer house, masjid, where he performed ritual prayers, and that prayer house is considered to be the first built mosque of Islam. On Friday morning, the Prophet set off toward Medina. He was accompanied by his relatives of the Banu Najjar clan. At the time of the Friday noon prayer, they found themselves in the valley of Wadi Ranuna, the territory that belonged to the clan of Banu Salim ibn Auf, and they prayed there together. A mosque was built at that place, and it is considered the second mosque of Islam. After the noon prayer, the Prophet entered Yathrib, and as of that day, the city is named Medinatur Rasulillah, the city of Allah's Messenger, or simply Medina. That was a historic moment. The citizens of Medina came out to greet the Messenger of God, peace be upon him, with great excitement and delight, shouting, God is great, God is great. The girls of the Ansar sang happily the well-known verses of welcome. The white moon rose over us from the valley of Wada. The Hijra, or the migration of Muhammad, peace be upon him, from Mecca to Medina, is one of the most important events and a turning point in the history of Islam. It was taken as the beginning of the Islamic era, and Muslims around the world calculate time in terms of that event. Since Muharram is the first and Rabiul Awal, the third month in the Arabic calendar, the first of Muharram is set as the beginning of the Islamic Hijri calendar, which corresponds to 16th of July, 622 CE. That date marks the beginning of the Islamic calendar. Hijra, a symbol of personal sacrifice in the way of God. The Hijra carries a multitude of lessons, among the most important ones being that it is a symbol of personal sacrifice in the way of God. The first Muslims abandoned their homeland, wealth, houses, and estates, 
proving that their faith was more important to them than anything else. All believers around the Prophet showed great readiness to make sacrifice in the migration process. Let us recall Ali, a young man who stayed in the Prophet's bed, exposed to the risk of being cut up by the United Arab tribes that had agreed to kill the Prophet. Let us remember Asma, the girl whose task was to bring food to the Thawr cave, the hiding place of the Prophet and her father, Abu Bakr, in order to learn some information about the Prophet and her father, the pagan leader Abu Jehel slapped and beat Asma so hard that she started bleeding, but she revealed nothing. On the contrary, after the pagans had left, she went to the cave again, taking extreme risks. The person whose task was to follow and listen to what Quraysh intended and did at daytime and to secretly visit the Thawr cave at night in order to pass that information to the Prophet was Abu Bakr's young son, Abdullah. Another young man was directly involved in the Hijra operation and his task was also very dangerous. Amir ibn Fuhaira's task was to drive his flock every evening over the road taken earlier by Abdullah ibn Abu Bakr to cover up the traces and prevent the pagans from discovering the place where the Prophet was hiding. The late martyr Mustafa Busulajic, a prominent Bosnian from the first half of the 20th century, wrote a very good paper about the significance of Hijra, as the messages of that article apply in the present time as well. We shall quote several excerpts from it. The Hijra is not only a historical event telling about Muhammad's migration with the Muslims from Mecca to Medina. It is also an ethical and spiritual concept which in the psychology of Islam denotes the maturing of religious beliefs, the achieving of a more profound understanding of the idea of faith, humanity and justice. If Islam had not revived human soul and created a new type, of man prior to it. Hijra would not have happened, or even if it would have happened, its consequences would not have been as far-reaching as they actually were, given that they really were of decisive importance for the future development of the new movement, at whose helm was Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him. The enthusiasm for the guiding principle, the belief in its validity, and the readiness to make sacrifices for the ideal one is fighting for were the decisive factors for the fate and success of all revolutions in history. Every revolution and every movement, Islam included, have had their fanatics, heroes, martyrs, and fighters. The developments in Mecca compelled Muhammad and Muslims to migration Hijra. For that reason, as the famous Orientalist Michelangelo Guide writes, Hijra does not mean an escape, although Muhammad was forced to go away because of the ambush laid by his fellow tribesmen who conspired to kill him. But a parting with one's own tribe and severing of all bones that tied one in the pre-Islamic order. Abu Bakr 
an affluent Meccan, did not jump at the first opportunity to save his life. On the contrary, he and Prophet Muhammad were the last ones to leave the jeopardized city. As a leader who was more concerned to protect his followers than himself, the Prophet was the last one to save his life in Medina, to which the spiritual center of Muhammad's teachings and struggle was transferred. The emigrants were welcomed as brethren by the Medinian Muslims, Ansar, who committed themselves unconditionally to help their newly arrived Meccan brethren. With their blood, Muhammad's companions showed that success without sacrifice and victory without struggle are not possible, that the ones willing to die for ideals are truly alive, Muslims were victorious because they loved death as much as their enemies loved life. That is how Hijra came about. Hijra brought about the Battle of Badr and the Battle of Ainadain, which required sacrifices, and the sacrifices resulted in victory. The victory made life possible. The life created a culture. The culture and progress guaranteed an unhindered development and economy of the Muslims in the past. With the migration to Medina, which signified commitment and self-sacrifice, the Muslims not only won Mecca again, but also kept it for themselves permanently and created an enormous state. Throughout the history of Islam, the spirit of Hijra was always the source of a new strength and spiritual awakening of Muslims at the risk of annihilation. Whenever the spirit of Hijra was lost, a catastrophe ensued. The examples of Muslims in Spain, Sicily, Poland, European part of Russia, France, Hungary, Montenegro, Lika, and Serbia is a good lesson to us who live in the era of a totalitarian war unprecedented in the world's history and in the region of conflicted historical antagonisms. Does the migration of Muslims from Mecca to Medina not remind of the current calamity of the Muslims in Bosnia and Herzegovina, Sanjak and Serbia? Do our refugees, who are leaving their torched and destroyed homes, fleeing an enemy, not have something in common with the Muslims who left Mecca under the pressure of antagonistic crowds? Does the river of Spain's Muslims, who had retreated gradually from the Iberian Peninsula hinterland toward Granada, only to eventually spread all over North Africa, not remind of the dire situation of our refugees in Bosnia, Herzegovina, and Sanjak? Will the Muslims of these lands, at the most critical moment of their history, draw a lesson from these historical truths.